This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to The Culture Bunker, your weekly pop culture podcast bugle. I'm Andrew Harrison. And I'm Sean Pattenden. On this week's show, Watto Giotto, Queen Beyonce of the Cardinals, is, is back with her new album, Renaissance. What will we think of her return to the D-I-S-C-O? And Andrew's in hog heaven as we watch 80-centric sci-fi mystery Paper Girls on Amazon Prime, based on the comic book series by Brian K. Vaughan and Cliff Chang. When four girls meet up on their morning paper round, the past, present and future collide. Is it strong enough to rival Stranger Things? Plus, we dip into the slippery world of 1980s Aussie broadcast news with The Newsreader, hence the name, a series now showing on the BBC. All this and more on today's Culture Bunker. Welcome aboard, everyone, and welcome to today's guest. Michael Hogan is a writer and chief Magic Lantern critic at The Telegraph, plus he's a keen dog owner. How are you, Michael? <laughs> I'm good. I thought you were going to say I was a keen dogger. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, well, that too. But, uh, we're, we're saving that for the... Uh, <laughs> the, the late-night podcast. Late-night late, late night, uh, <laughs> unplugged edition. You watch television for a living, mm. which increasingly feels like what I do as well. For those holidaying at home this year and not stuck in Kent on a massive tailback, enjoying the unrivaled scenery of lorries and vans and so forth, what should we be watching right now? Uh, well, nothing that's on actual TV because it's the it's the dead month of TV. Mm. Um, July and uh, early August. So nothing nothing good's happening at the moment. So I think you should be delving into your streaming services and your back catalogue of what? things you haven't bothered, bothered watching on your recorder. <laughs> what kind of gems have we, have we, are on iPlayer and Netflix and things that we haven't? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what arrives on iPlayer on Monday mm-hmm. that hasn't been on iPlayer bafflingly for about 10 years is Clocking Off, the Paul oh. Abbott oh. factory-based uh, anthology series, which right. is uh, very good indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would recommend that. We managed to miss, somehow, Sherwood on this podcast, which everybody went bonkers mm. for. Tell us what Sherwood did that set it apart. Well, it was a very personal project for writer James Graham. He, he grew up in a sort of a former mining village in Nottinghamshire. And he kind of connected his personal story with true crime, with these two murders that happened, with the miners' strike, with the, the politics of today in this really clever way. He's a playwright by trade, and you could kind of tell. We also had this incredible ensemble cast of, like, you know, mm. Leslie Manville and Adil Acta and David Morrissey were all at the top of their game. And, yeah, one of the best things of the year, I think. I think my neck and neck for that one is The Responder, yes. which I obviously right up there. scout bias. But mm. I, I just thought it was so cleverly written and hit the spot so well for finding a part of the of the police life that has not really been explored. The fact that it would drive you to the absolute brink and... You know what? What you can do with sort of showing the interior life of someone, showing them how that they would, you know, they would be almost forced to break the law by yeah. the situation that they're in. Yeah, it's like a sort of dramatized version of a sort of late night documentary series, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, it's very visceral, I think, in that way. And Martin Freeman does a quite a good impression of Stephen Graham for six episodes. He does. What my mum said uh, couldn't fault, couldn't fault the accent. Couldn't fault. That. And that was her, <laughs> that was her main. That was her main. Unlike Sherwood, where lots of people faulted the accent, I'm afraid. Or even Peaky Blinders, where it seems oh, that old Birmingham right. was a melting pot in the world. Yeah, but Peaky Blinders was uh, 
last episode of Peaky Blinders was one of the greatest hours of TV. It was a Peaky Blinder. It was. Yeah. Have you seen uh, The Final Neighbours yet? I have. Oh, have you? Can, uh, well, oh. we are we are going yeah. out on the Saturday morning now, yeah. so no spoiler. You can spoil to your heart's content. Tell us. It's so, so naff. It's glorious. It's like a sort of, it's less of a sort of hour of drama and more of a kind of clip show. <laughs> they kind of, they managed to weave all the old characters and loads of callbacks and stuff into the drama by all these kind of slightly cheesy devices like plain Jane Superbrain, Jane Harris. Mm-hmm. It's reunited with Mike, played by Guy Pearce. And, and she gives him a sort of tour of Ramsey Street, mm. which is like going under the hammer. So all the houses are being sold. So everyone's getting very nostalgic. So she gives him a tour of Ramsey Street around the old houses. And he kind of goes, oh, this is the room where such happened. And then there's a clip of it and stuff. Mm. And meanwhile, Susan Kennedy's compiling this scrapbook of Ramsey Street memories because Ramsey Street's about to be auctioned off and demolished, I think. So there's all these kind of clever ways of getting all the nostalgia in and loads of old characters come back. And, uh, yeah, I won't spoil it completely for anyone who's yet to watch it live, but it's well worth it. It's it, You don't need to have watched Neighbours for the last 20 years, <laughs> which is quite handy because no yeah. one has. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so, sounds exactly like the way Brooks are. They, they even do a little medley at one point of all the various iterations of the theme tune kind of mixed together like sort of like soul wow. wax of sort of knocked it out <laughs> in their lunch hour. <laughs> Fantastic. Before we move on, a reminder, you can get The Culture Bunker and all our shows early and without ads when you support The Bunker on Patreon. That means daily episodes on politics, science, pop culture and much, much more. You'll be supporting truly independent broadcasting and helping us find new stories and feature new voices. So just search Patreon Bunker Podcast to find out more. Well, it is the dead summer, so let's start with something surprising. A massive release <laughs> in music at the end of July when the entire music business is on the beach and so are all the punters. Renaissance is Beyonce Knowles' seventh album, her first proper solo record since 2016, and apparently it's act one of a three-part <laughs> art project. Builds as a dance record, its legions of producers include house DJ Honey Dijon and Skrillex. Grace Jones makes a guest appearance. The cover features a nude Beyonce on a crystal horse, because why not? What will we make of it? And is a new Beyonce release just a pop record, or is it a socio-political event? Now, unsurprisingly, we can't clear a track because, you know, you have to join a long line of supplicants <laughs> in the court of Queen Beyonce. But we're going to put the single Break My Soul uh, on the playlist. Michael Hogan, what are your initial reactions to Beyonce Part 7? What did you think? I thought it was really, really great, actually. I, I, I think... You're right. Beyonce records do tend to get freighted with this kind of social event status. But I think she's deliberately shrugged that off and it's just a really great pop record. It's like, it's full of disco and house. Um, it's even got a name. The Renaissance sounds like a sort of dodgy rave from the <laughs> Well, actually, Renaissance was a great rave. Yeah, it was one of the best raves. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it sounds like that or a kind of club compilation. Do you think the fall will be called Telepathy, Biology, <laughs> uh, 180K Turbo yeah. Sound System? Part three will be I'd be for Sunset. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I only, it, uh, I've only listened to it the once because it came out this morning, but... My entire family were sort of bouncing along to it. It's just, yeah. it's really upbeat and sort of hedonistic. And it's got a kind of feeling of post-pandemic euphoria, I think, about it, which, yeah. which she's captured really well. Um, unpolitical and all party. Yeah. I mean, it's all grooves and they're not particularly heavy on the songs, isn't Ooh. it? I mean, there is a huge amount of house here. That track, Break My Soul, which you just mentioned, <laughs> it was astonishing things written about it over the summer about how... Do you, have you heard about this house music thing that Beyonce has discovered and say every house <laughs> DJ on earth was not happy with this at all? Mm. But the closing track, Summer Renaissance, it actually features <laughs> her doing I Feel Love. And she thinks, I want to house you. I want to spouse you. Yeah, there's like a Robin S yeah. sample, isn't mm. there? And, and you know, obviously Grace Jones is on there. I think Nile Rogers pops up, or certainly yes, it sounds it like he does. Cuff it, he's on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of an 80s and 90s club music, um, but sort of reinvented for a kind of hot girl summer. There's quite a lot of affirmation pop here, isn't there? Um, she's singing, I'm comfortable in my skin, I'm cosy with who I am on cosy. It should cost a billion to look this good on Pure Honey. Is affirmation pop's job now the kind of thing that people will say to themselves in the mirror in the morning I, to put their armour on for the day? I think partly, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I saw a tweet just now, actually, on the, on the journey in here by um, Ash Sarker, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, the left-wing political commentator, saying that she doesn't think there's any artist whose records make her feel as good as Beyonce's records. Mm. Just because not only are they musically exciting, but the the, mu- the the lyrics are so affirmative and so kind of powerful, mm. and and kind of it's basically you go girl 
I was just yes. about to say, yeah, yeah. 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 it's looking at yourself in the mirror. You've read your book on assertiveness, and how no yeah. one, no one should tread you down at work yeah. or something. And you say, you go, go. You listen to Beyonce, and then you're out the door. You do, you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Oprah Winfrey's all night piano bangers, isn't it? Yeah, which I'll tell you what, though, it's really rude, though. This record, it's pretty. Oh, filthy. isn't it? Oh, there's loads of swearing yes. on it. My 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 little girl who's. I mean, the opener. If you think the opener, quite shocked by yeah, yeah, the sample where. Please, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. There's a a lot of MF, and I think there's even a there's even a C bomb a a couple of times. Crikey, (laughs) that one. Yes, crikey. She says towards the end of the. Am I allowed to say it? Am I allowed to quote the lyric? Give it a go. There's there's that one at the end that's got. I thought a lot of it was very gay, obviously, and, and, and very influenced by. The kind of voguing ballroom yeah. scene, ball. yeah. and there's that one at the end, which is pure honey, I think, where um, it says "money, money, c***y, hunty." Crikey, is the refrain. Well, there's a track on it as well called "America Has a Problem," and I was like, kind of stealing myself, I'm like, Here's yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's Charlie yeah. Gambino. This yeah, is what's exactly. going to happen. Yeah. It's just about shagging. Yeah. It's just about yeah. loads of. Yeah. Yeah. America has a problem, and that problem seems to be sex. Yes, or absolutely. not enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, what did you think? Absolutely adored it. Uh, as I say, we all listen to this on a Friday morning because that's when we get our hands on it. This is the record that Lizzo meant to make. Right. And where Lizzo's fell flat. Sorry, Lizzo. She's a goddess. But she meant to do this. This is very much you go, girl, in the mirror. But somehow Beyonce has just... I'm going to use that. I can't think of saying anything, but she's smashed it. I know I'm a moron for saying that. But when you think... You know, she's got an enormous tick box. It needs mm. to have a groove. It needs to be really edgy. I need to get the best producers on here. The lyrics have to be really exciting, but mm. they can't alienate. She's ticked every single box. You just go, yes. Well, also, it has to be true to her persona as well, yeah. doesn't it? Because yeah, she's absolutely, built totally, this kind yeah. of sort of... She can't go too either way. Yeah, this she? sort of indestructible no. sort of pop dreadnoughts. And, and that must be very difficult to work with because, you know... Songs about vulnerability and fragility. Well, they're not Beyonce. You know, when she wants to sing something like that, she's just got to hive it in, you know, Mm. clip it in with this stuff. But it's amazing. The lyrics are amazing. I was writing them down very quickly. I have written down super gay as well. The uh, pure honey is just incredible. There's church girls acting loose. Yes. So when you have a song about church girls, it's not about them going to church. It's not about them going to church, is it? (laughs) It's not. There's lots of things about sofas. You can be my daddy if you want to. There's a track track about plastic off the sofa. Which is a brilliant lyric, isn't it? And I was yeah. not aware of the thing of keeping the plastic on your sofa, which is a big deal in America. Mm. It's yeah. like, we mm. keep the sofa nice. Yeah. You're a multi-billionaire beyond the sofa. No, it's a big deal in kind of certain pockets of working class culture here too, keeping your, keeping your plastic on your sofa. I don't remember that. Yeah, man. Nah. Put and the, the same thing of those people who put, put a bit of plastic sheeting over the new carpet. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah. Like, Sort of well, she's taken the plastic off that sofa. She, she certainly has. has. She certainly yeah. has, yes. With pure sex, she's removed it. Well. Oh, my goodness. She's sexed <laughs> off the plastic. <laughs> but it is wonderful. And so let's be pretentious for a moment. This mm. is Erica Jong, isn't it? Erica Jong? Sorry, I'll start mm. again. This is Erica Jong, this is album. It this is it Zipless Funk? Yeah. It's Zipless Funk. It mm. totally is. It's about absolute abandon. And that's what's so glorious about it, is it, it does have edges and it's quite, you know, in your face. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not pulling any punches. All taste those cliches. Me, I mean, taste me, the fleshy part. I, I scream so loud. Yeah, and lots of I like it rough and I like it this. You just think, mm. you go, girl. <laughs> you mm. go. It's all cliches around my room. I mean, the post-Black Lives Matters Beyonce was a, a very different proposition to Crazy in Love Beyonce. And it feels like she's kind of gone back to Crazy in Love Beyonce a little bit. Yeah. And she's yeah. riding the uh, the silver yeah. horse from the Anglia TV idents. Mm. <laughs> this, this is true. <laughs> Which appeals to the East Anglian in me. Do you think Studio 4 nicked off Anglian TV? I think they borrowed it. They've just been yeah. gathering dust backstage at Nicholas Parsons' house. <laughs> Did we notice that the hook on Alien Superstar, I'm too classy for this world, yes. yeah. is a right said Fred yeah. still, and they get credit. Yeah, oh, they get so publishing. They're getting money. Isn't that annoying? The anti-vax. All the, yeah, Beyonce is funding. <laughs> <laughs> the, think about it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it, that's a 5G masks, well. yeah, guys. And I disagree. I think there are loads of bangers on it. The more you listen to it, which is two and a half in my case, mm. there are loads of tunes and Renaissance, obviously. Well, at the there's end. loads of bangers and there's loads of there's loads of grooves. There's, there a, are there's songs not, that not so much verse chorus. I don't care about verse chorus myself. I'd rather have the banger. It's a, it's a, it's a dance album. You know, the, the tracks are even kind of mixed together, aren't they? And, and they into a sort of you know mm. a, a kind of club mega mix. And yeah. someone else said, I think it was on the Twitter that it. it you can listen to it if it was as if it was an essentials mix or something like that. Mm. Everything is, you know, seamlessly sequenced. Yeah. Nothing f- stands out. It, it all flows into one another. And that is ju- that's an art in itself. Uh, it's so many, uh, also, there are certain bits of it that is it's like a sound bed to Love Island, isn't it? You know what I mean? The <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It's so sort of summery and sexy and kind of um, 
and kind of burbles away. Now, should we worry when artists announce multi-part art projects that there will be an act two and an act three? Well, Are we heading to pretentious city? Um... Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with being pretentious. I, I, I just, I just hope that act two and three are something completely off the wall. Like one's a restaurant and the other one's a, <laughs> a kind of ballet. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, it does appear that Beyonce is to an extent criticism proof. I mean, as if she she sort of has this burden of representing all of Black America. Yes. And if you question what she does, her fans get ex- yes. exceptionally vociferous. I got the sense that this is almost her breaking out of that a bit as well. And she's going, I want to enjoy myself. She has said um, in quotes around this that she wanted to make mistakes. She wanted it to be flawed. She wanted it just to be really spontaneous. Mm. And I wrote in my notes to criticise this. It's like criticising a tree or a field. Mm. You, you can't criticise it. It becomes, you know, she's so meta. It, she is beyond Beyonce in that way. Mm. She's just this incredible force of nature. It sounds absolutely perfect, even though it's flawed. I just think... Anyone who did criticise this would, would have a very, very mealy mouth. She's releasing the wiggle, that statement said. Well, didn't she? <laughs> yes, Which, and, and the, wiggle, the record yeah, very much yeah. is released. Yes, the wiggle it's, is, it's, is going mad. It's spraying around the room now like a deflating balloon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, th- I think we can all agree. Well, well done, Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> like she needs it from us, but yes. well done, Beyonce. Every week we ask our guests to bring in a current favourite track of theirs. As an enormous service to you, the listener, it takes them ages. Michael Hogan, what have you bought in and why do you love it? I've bought in Sonny the Strong by Gaz Coombs, mm-hmm. the, the supergrass frontman. Who's, I, th- I don't think his solo career gets quite the credit it deserves. I've liked lots of the stuff he's released. Um, and this is a lovely tale. It's, like, it's about a post-war British boxer. And it starts off quite low-key and um, Americana and sort of builds into something quite emotive and novelistic and... Well done, Gaz, like well done, Beyonce. (laughs) Great. And we've cleared it so we can hear a little bit of it. And it's also going on the playlist. Gaz Coombs and Sonny the Strong. When Stranger Things took off in 2016, I insisted to anybody who would listen that they had to read Paper Girls, a comic book series by writer Brian K. Vaughan, who was already a star for his family space opera series Saga, and the artist Cliff Chang, whose take on Wonder Woman is absolutely amazing and beautiful. The coincidence of the two series running at the same time was uncanny. They shared a kind of conflicted nostalgia for their 80s Reagan-era setting. They shared an atmosphere of a low-budget creep show horror movie. And most importantly, it was all about the kind of Goonies, stand-by-me theme of teenage friendship being formed and broken under pressure. But Paper Girls was very different, with a cast of female teens and a time travel theme that asks questions of how these young lives might play out. Half a decade later, Paper Girls finally makes it to TV in its own right on Amazon Prime Video. What are we going to think? And will the story that was Stranger Things before Stranger Things was Stranger Things (laughs) make it out from the shadow of... Stranger Things. <laughs> Here's a trailer for some vibes. Hey! What's your name? Aaron. Tiff. So you're Mac, right? So? So I'm um, the first paper boy around here who wasn't. A boy? You must be the Brandman kid. KJ. My dad says you people own everything. You people? She's new. All right, Big Mac. Let's go. I'm not gonna, like, bite you or something. Why does the sky look like that? Move, move, move! Let's get out of here! Hey! Who's there? What are you doing in my house? What are you doing in my house? I live here. No, I live here. That's her. Holy shit. is a psychotic break. 12-year-old version of yourself broke into your house with her punk friends? If that really is future you, maybe she can call someone. Who's she gonna call? Time travel 911. Do you want to call 911? <gasps> oh, good lord, there are future robots. Okay, the setup is we're in Stony Stream, a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, 
and a racially mixed group of girls, also a class mixed group of girls, are doing their paper round when they are robbed by a gang of older boys and in their attempt to get their stuff back, they stumble into a time machine and a huge temporal conflict. We've all been there. <laughs> Sean, I mean, these girls aren't friends to start out with, but they're kind of pushed into one's company and they have to deal with one another. What did you think of it? What were your reactions? Well, it's a classic scenario that can be done really badly and all disparate people are suddenly mm. pushed together and they're going to have a little bit of a fight, but in the end you'll realise mm. that through temporal conflict, they all get on. I really, really enjoyed this. Mm. I thought it was beautifully paced. I thought it was beautifully done. It outstrangered Stranger Things, which I stopped watching after about season one. I mean, one of the first tracks as well, they know their stuff. One yeah. of the first tracks is a really early New Order song. Mm. Age of Consent. You know, it's not fine time. It's not something, yeah. you know, and you just think, ah, they know their stuff. Ah, mm. this is good. And it really sets it in the music... Um, the music. Uh, it's not what, often what you hear Debbie Gibson. Yes, it's really brilliantly done. I really like the characters. I thought it was just. I say it's just hard sometimes not to make them papery get it thin. Yeah. There's something about the direction in that you really do feel there are these inner lives of these teens, mm. and that's really hard to do. And I was very drawn in. I've only done one and a half. But I thought it was fantastic. It really, yeah, something about it that seemed authentic, man, that this was you know, coming from a really good place. I'm delighted that you liked it because yeah. obviously I'm kind of invested in yeah, it. Yeah. Exactly. It was a load of rubbish, Andrew. You have terrible taste. I mean, our way in is yeah. the Chinese-American kid, Erin, whose mum doesn't speak English. She has to take responsibility for the family. She's under constant pressure. There's the working-class girl, Mac, with an alcoholic mother, and she's always got a fag on the go, mm. and she's mm. extremely aggressive. She's basically Edward Furlong from Terminator 2. I exactly what she's saying. Exactly same, like same hair, same vibe, <laughs> yeah. same energy. Yeah. Um, we've got African-American kid, Tiffany, who we, mm. uh, you will learn later on has got a bigger, bigger future than you can possibly imagine. Mm. And KJ, who's from a wealthy Jewish family, and Mac is always... Basically, Mac has come from a background of you know, more or less conspiracy theory, anti-Semitism, and as always, I want to go at it. You guys will own the world. Mm. No spoilers, but that story's going to play out in a very interesting way. As the female in the room, Sean, <laughs> who's spent her time in female only, is this what girls are like at the age of 12? That kind of on top of each other case, case getting. Yeah, absolutely. It felt really like, as say, it's hard to show in episode one of something that there are inner lives, backstory, mm. Um, obviously we're dealing with the future and the future of what they're going to be like without it sort of just seeming like a mess or forced upon these people. Mm. But there's something really cohesive about it and really lovely. And the reference points aren't too sort of stuck on. You know, there are. we know they're in the 80s. We know there are some things they can do and some things they can't, technology. I like the fact they're all on bicycles, so it's like E.T. as well. Yes. You mm. know, the, those things are just really lovely and they're placed there rather than pushed in your face. As I say, I just think it's really beautiful. The tone is really, really mm. good. It's beautifully paced in that way. And the plot motor is, is time travel, as we yeah. say. The, the girls encounter, they're trying to basically get their stolen walkie-talkie back. It's like classic exactly. sort of schoolyard yeah, fighting. Stuff. And they encounter these two kind of weirdly modified teenagers who are not speaking an identifiable, mm. identifiable language. And what we discover is their time machine, which pings them back and forth on timeline. But what it really is about is, is the girls encountering their future selves and what each party thinks of the other. Mm. So the, the first one we encounter is older Erin. Yes. So who's gone from a without? This is not too not too. Yeah, I've only got to that point. You see. Well, yeah. without too many spoilers, <laughs> a twelve-year-old girl of great mm. promise and great mm. ambition, and the older version of herself that she meets is very, very different. Yeah, she's quite disappointed with herself, isn't <laughs> yeah. she? With yeah, how life has turned out for herself. Yeah. Whereas another one, you know, I think it's one of them sort of googles herself and mm. is very excited by what she finds in the future. Yeah, and I think it's really yeah that 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 kind of that it, about it's really clever and poignant about aging and mm. the disappointments mm. of life. Like they all they all seem. So full of energy and promise, don't they, when yeah. they're 12? I thought they were older than 12, by the way. They felt like they're yeah, more they like are, 14 yeah, to me. They are right. sort of, yeah. But anyway. In the comic, they're 12, what do I mean? Um, so what did you think about Michael overall? I loved it, yeah. I thought it was really good. I, I sort of didn't want to love it because it was so you. <laughs> <laughs> it was so you, it was annoying. Yeah. But uh, it turned out, you know, you know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was really good. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's, there are flaws in it. The, the, the whole, the, the sort of future war thing that they kind of end up in is a bit hokey I think you know mm. sort of Blake Seven costumes and and, and, and the problem with that is what <laughs> <laughs> you know you can tell it's the, the budget of, of Stranger Things is not the same yes. with uh, Paper Girls um, let's say but although the sky goes pink as it mm. does in Stranger Things I, I thought they're going to be an upside, the upside down that was really good the, the, the dynamic between the four girls is just brilliant and 
you know, they even reference they reference things like Buffy and the Babysitters Club mm-hmm. and stuff. They, they yeah. you know, they know they know their reference points. The soundtrack's brilliant. Yeah, and that I don't know if you you watch Yellow Jackets. That brilliant. No, American I never saw series. that. But yeah. a lot of that is that's kind of dual timeline stuff about a group of schoolgirls, and then the other half is set with their grown up selves. Mm. And it's very much like that. It's kind of Yellow Jackets meets Doctor Who. Yeah. And, you know, what's not to love about that? Mac, in particular, we get a glimpse of the kind of damaged background that she mm. comes from. She's, mm. like, trying to retrieve, retrieve a packet of cigarettes out from underneath her mother, who may be drunk or may be drugged out. They're properly dirt poor. And I really like the way that the kind of class dynamic plays out, because that's something that doesn't really get talked about that much yeah. in American mm. fiction. Yeah, they're not as obsessed with class as we are. Um, mm. But, yeah, the, the, the sort of the spiky relationship between the kind of the rich Jewish princess and the kind of the, the trailer park uh, girl is, mm. is is nicely done and not too clumsy. Mm. She is like Edward Furlong, though. I just couldn't get that out of my head yeah. the whole time. She's got that kind of same hair. She calls people, um, you know, Dick Wad and Ass Clown yes. and things like he does. And she's constantly flipping the bird at people's backs as they walk off. And <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant. And But, the, you know, all the girls that have a really, as Sean said, they, they, they're all, you know, in within the first, mm. I've, I've seen the first two episodes, which add up to like 70 minutes. And within that time, they arrive as fully formed characters, yeah, I think. Yeah. It's the, the writing is really clever. Do you feel it's faithful to the comic? It's really, really faithful. Yeah. Um, in a, and in a good way, because sometimes things are often faithful to the comic in a way that even I'm saying, why are you doing this? The comic is not always perfect. I mean, occasionally decisions are made in, in comics that are just driven by deadline. But large parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe are investing billions of dollars in something that was made up in a panicky afternoon <laughs> by Stan Lee or Jack Kirby to fill a page. Yeah. And then suddenly there it is on the, on the screen. Mm. I, I love this. Men, like I say, many of the, many of the scenes directly mirror the comics. Cliff Chang is an incredible artist. He's unlike any other comic artist. It's very simple, clear lines, incredibly expressive. None of this kind of bulging biceps. And, and uh, you know, he even drew Wonder Woman without the bulging biceps. And Did she have a sword with a snake wrapped around it, though? That's what I want to know. I don't know. She had the lasso of truth, which is uh, okay. very important. <laughs> uh, Get you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got a, a important to the is in his 50s. Uh, uh, yeah, Readers. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Mid to late 50s. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it's, it's really faithful in the best way, which is it's faithful to the characters. Brian Cavermon puts a lot of women in his comics, and I think he does it because he wants to try and intellectually mm. explore... Mm women on the page to work out his ideas mm. to try, because my I mean, much as I enjoyed Stranger Things it's quite saccharine and it's quite boisy and it's quite a lot about the kind of the fascination and fear of the only girl in the whole story yeah, yeah, admittedly she is a telekinetic super person yeah. so you would be quite frightened of her but the most frightening thing about her is she's a girl mm. Mm. Um, and although this is about- in Stranger Things it's defence I think you know you ducked out of series one I think yeah, yeah. and series two and three are disappointing Mm. Series four, massive return to form, okay. partly because they foreground another female character. Mm. And often, when things include a female friendship, they're not about female friendship, and this is about the girls getting on. And you actually yeah. start to invest in: Are they getting on? Why don't they? And the th- something about their dynamic is so strong. It's a Bechdel test home run in every every scene, isn't it? Mm. I thought you could mm. sort of tell uh, that it was from a comic book because it was so mm. full of ideas. Yeah. Mm. It was like a sort of, occasionally there'd be like a panel would arrive, like a different scene would be mm. something completely different. It, it mm. kind of, yeah. But in a really exciting way, I thought. It was like, oh, this is happening, and they're being mugged, and then suddenly next frame, ow, time war, and then next frame, <laughs> ow, I've been shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? There was, there was so much yeah. thrown at it, but it was, I thought it was really exciting. Well, Brian K. Vaughan is the absolute cliffhanger merchant. I mean, this is one of the reasons I find this comic so uh, addictive, in that you, you know you're going to get to page 25, and there will be something that makes your jaw drop. There's one really annoying thing about this, which is because it comes from Amazon, it can't have the jaw-dropping scene at the end of issue one, which is in 1988, at a time when, you know, we're running around on bikes and there's no internet and anything else, a certain object has the Apple logo on the back of it, which cannot possibly have an Apple logo on it. Mm. And that's the thing that opens up the whole story and makes you go, what the hell is going on here? And they can't do that because it's yeah. Amazon. They can't put the Apple logo on it. They do. They have quite a clever scene with an Amazon Alexa. They do, which is so a very, very... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's some, some of the best parts of it are just 
the girls wandering around in their own future and yeah. just amazed, just standing in front of an animated billboard in awe, unable to believe that the future has panned out the way it has in some ways. And they ask for a phone book and then they go, no, we've got the internet now. And they're like, <laughs> they go, wow. They don't even have phone books. <laughs> it's like a phone book it's, on a computer. It's just really endearing and mm. extremely faithful. Um, I'm really encouraged, not just that you guys liked it, but also mm. I, I did a little bit of, a, you know, checked out the reviews this yeah, morning yeah. and everybody is saying, this is not just Stranger Things. Mm. This is its own thing with its own dynamic. It actually has its own pace as well yeah. mm. I, mean, I, I, I liked the best of Stranger Things but it was very overloaded with music and very overloaded with the reference mm. this has a kind of a, a more open pace and there's more time for the girls to interact and for you to discover yeah. why it's, they it's, are it's who they like are more nuanced than Stranger Things I think it's, yeah. it's more subtle and you know and it's got a pet hamster called Weird Al it's got a pet hamster <laughs> called Weird Al wait till later in the series where the giant pterodactyls start to appear Oh, That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, well, I mean, when you said it's, you know, it's uh, out stranger, stranger mm. things. I think I might email that to the uh, to the marketing department and see if they fancy putting that on a poster somewhere. Yeah, I'm delighted that you liked it because yeah, it's. It. I, I have, like I say, personal investments in this one. <laughs> Go on, paper girls. Hey. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now it's the turn of Mr. Andrew Harrison to bring in a tune for you, the listener. What have we brought in, Andrew Harrison? Well, long-time listeners will remember that we reviewed the album uh, Telefish, which was a collaboration between Cattle Coughlin of Micro Disney and the Fatima Mansions and the producer Jackknife Lee, and it was brilliant. It was mm. a concept album about Irish state television in the 60s. I think he, I think he called it something like, if you're only going to buy one theocratic <laughs> electronic album about the Irish diaspora, <laughs> this is the one to buy. Yeah. Well, amazingly, there's another one coming out later yeah. this year. Very, very sadly, Cathal, who was uh, he was a listener to this podcast, and he actually supported us on Patreon with his own and money. And he sent us his CDs when they came. Yeah, he passed away uh, a couple of months ago, which was a big shock to a lot yeah. of people because I sort of imagined that there was going to be a David Bowie-esque late career yeah. flowering for this brilliant, yeah. brilliant and guy. And he'd been planning loads of stuff. Yeah, but well, there is more Telefish music, and there's a single from the next tele- Telefish album. It's called Space Is Us. And it's a collaboration between uh, Cathal, uh, Jack Knife Lee and Sean O'Hagan of Micro Disney. Mm. So there's a bit of kind of coming together here. And it's a great tune. It is funny and strange, like the best of uh, Cathal Coughlin always was. And here's a little bit of it now. Space Is Us by Telefish Feet dot Sean O'Hagan. Lady Reads the News. The Newsreader is a six-part series starring Anna Torv as Helen, a put-upon broadcaster, all set in 1986. Thatcher, AIDS, Halley's Comet. We see them here as if they are current news stories. It was Australian TV channel ABC's most-watched drama programme of 2021. But what will us poms think of it? Here's the trailer to give us a bit of a flavour. 
We are back here for news reading, not for everyone. Sixty minutes of sending female reporters to war zone. <laughs> You're a war zone on two legs. She contracted HIV through a blood transfusion. We used to have a serious news audience, and we started serving them glamour. They told me it was all rumours. <laughs> Can I get that interview? Let's do it. I plan to put up a fight. Yes! Don't you do it, huh? Not now, screen. Camera goes on home. Magic. I always come good when it counts. You're incredible. Michael Hogan, I'm going to start with you because you're good at the telly. Set this mm. up for us. What is happening here? Well, it's about the uh, relationship between the female anchor, co-anchor, Helen Norville, who played by... Brilliant Anna Torv, who's mm-hmm. great in Fringe. I don't know if you yeah. watched that. Uh, that's probably up your rear, Andrew. J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams' underrated series mm-hmm. um, around the time of Lost. And she was also great in Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. And she's a dead ringer for like a young Kate Blanchett. In, yeah. this. in fact, I, I thought it was Kate Blanchett for about yeah. the first mm-hmm. 10 minutes. And she is kind of battling the uh, patriarchy to have her talent <laughs> recognised. There's, there's like a... A sort of a, a git of a boss and a slightly entitled co-anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, she's great. Her sort of her pussy bow blouse and her shoulder pads <laughs> quiver with frustration <laughs> at various points that she has not having her talent recognised. But but also she's she's quite um, she's much more nuanced than you think she's going to be. So you think she, the first ten minutes you think she's going to be a sort of dynasty style super bitch because it's hmm. set in yeah. that kind of era. But beneath the hairspray and the power frocks. It's just the armour she wears, I think. It's her war paint. And it turns out she's quite complex off screen and she's maybe has a prescription pill habit and maybe some mental health problems. And as one of her, one of the male colleagues says, she's a, she's a nightmare off screen, but she's magic on it. Mm. Um, so it's about sort of difficult women in the workplace. Um, and she forms a really nice sort of friendship stroke possible romance with an ambitious young male reporter called Dale Jennings, who's played by Sam Reed, who mm-hmm. was very good. I don't know if you, any, you ever saw an Australian drama called uh, Lambs of God. It's kind of folk horror about four nuns on a, on a deserted island who've invented their own religion, essentially. Right. Um, anyway, like Dark Father Ted. Yes, we <laughs> so. Father Ted meets the Wicker Man. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, Sam Reed turns up in that as like the mm. priest who chant, discovers mm. this kind of strange thing. Um, anyway, he's very good um, as well, and it's about their, their relationship and how they try and sort of reshape the news programme they work on. It's very nostalgic. The, the, you know, the first episode covers the space shuttle disaster. Mm-hmm. The second one covers Haley's Comet. The AIDS crisis is mentioned. Chernobyl comes later in the series. Cabbage Patch Kids. Cabbage Patch Kids are mentioned. Yeah, there's yeah. The, there's even, you know, the baby being snatched by a dingo. You know, that's yes. the thing that Meryl Streep mm-hmm. made a film about. The first episode also starts with Paul Hogan, no relation, yes. um, being named Australian <laughs> yes, of the Year, which right. locates yes. it so specifically mm-hmm. at a time. And it's really evocative. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's Mad Men meets the morning show. I think it's really nicely done. It's very brown and beige, isn't it? The offices yes. are so horribly 80s. Everybody's smoking all the time. Yeah, everyone's smoking all the time. Everyone's got a really dodgy duvet cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the blokes are always asking the women to do annoying menial tasks. Yes, so, yes. To be, you're not going upstairs to the uh, to the coffee shop, yeah. right? No, I'm not. Yeah. Well, you know. Yes, yeah, so yeah. going to the photocopier. For and one of, them, one of them wears a kind of a, a, a pink tie at one point because he's watching Miami Vice mm. and everyone takes the mickey out of him. Yeah. What are you wearing a pink tie for, mate? <laughs> <laughs> so it's worth saying that it's familiar te- territory at the start. It's a woman in a man's world, mm. basically. Andrew, what did you make of it? I thought it was fantastic because I liked the fact that it managed to take a very modern perspective mm. on that. It's nostalgia, but it's not cheap nostalgia. It's mm. not, hey, who remembers Dilly Boppers? <laughs> it's like, yeah. who, remembers this? who remembers when work was like this? And it was mm. awful. She is under enormous pressure and clearly someone who in our, our current context would be regarded as seriously vulnerable, seriously mm. in need mm. of self-care. Mm-hmm. And yet her working environment is not just sexism, but Australian sexism, <laughs> which is bigger and more muscly than ordinary sexism and mm. you know, a lot more uh, lot more relentless. And yet within that, we also get, you know, there's certain characters may not be sort of who you think they are in their sexual orientation. Mm. Uh, they may not be who you think they are in terms of their career mm-hmm. ambitions. Mm-hmm. There's certainly a whole lot of stale, pale and male dudes who are kind of <laughs> blocking the doorway to the, to the bright young people. Yes. But that is not approached in any form of a cliched manner. Everybody has their flaws. Everybody's fighting their own battle, even the sort of nominal villains. So in certain respects, it's it's like network. 
Yeah. I mean, and it quotes and nods to Network it very does. heavily in the very, very first scene. Yeah. So, also yes. no, nods very uh, directly towards Flashdance. A lot of hair tossing going on here. <laughs> but it's clever and inquisitive enough about its own material mm. to dig into that and to look at the psychologies of each and every person on the screen. I loved it. I absolutely devoured it. And I'm kind of disappointed it's only a six-episode thing and appears to be a limited series with a definitive ending. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a shame. It's... But, um, obviously, it's quiet time for TV at the moment, so BBC Two have kind of plugged a gap with it on Sunday nights. Mm. They're, they're airing it in double bills. Mm. And they're kind of slightly throwing it away, I think. I think it's better yeah. than that. It's the kind of thing that 20 years ago would be going out on BBC One mm. at 10 o'clock mm. as, a, as a major flag, flagship drama, I think. Yeah. I mean, and I'm it, hoping that it's, it's, got, it's got pretty good reviews. I'm hoping people will discover it. But, you know, a BBC Two Sunday night drama tends to not be watched by many people, mm. sadly. Yeah. But um, it's won loads of awards in, in Australia, and as Sean mm. says, it's mm. you know the big ratings hit of last year. I've seen a lot of people mentioning it on social media, going, Good. I just stumbled upon this thing, and it's fantastic. You should give it a go. And there is a whole lot of Blanchett energy coming off Anatole, isn't there? Oh, you'd be mm-hmm. happy, wouldn't you? Yeah, yes, very marvellous. Yes, oh, yes. Great actor, great actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I also enjoy Trying the fact... Work. <laughs> steady on. Uh, but I also enjoy the fact... You know, I love watching things where I don't know anybody at all. All the faces are new. This yeah. Yeah, why I enjoyed yeah. Mr. In Between so much. Mm. It's like I've never encountered any of these actors before, and they're all brilliant. There seems to be a bit of a Australian drama renaissance going there on. There is at the very moment, much, yeah. With a subtle eye that many of our very, very broad brush domestic dramas mm. don't seem to have. Jack Irish is very good. Have you seen that? No. It's Guy Pierce detective drama. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I think I have a Guy Pierce similar. I'm a very big fan of his work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> with Andrew very, yes, very, yes. very, very talented. Very, so very there's talented. more to Australian TV than neighbours, we're saying. Well, there we go. So <laughs> themes are emerging. And also, I mean, at the same time this series is, is taking place uh, on the other side of the world, the girls from Paper Girls are rich. Chasing each other around with hockey yeah. sticks and dealing with time travel. It's slightly depressing how our lives are now period dramas. <laughs> it is, yeah. What did you think about it, Sean? Well, I really liked it, but I have reservations, man. I think the character of Helen seems to be contrasted with Dale Jennings, yeah. who is the up and coming. It sort of nicks her job at one point. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly bland. He's very, very bad at doing his job. Everybody laughs at him because he's just useless in front of camera. He's very stilted. But if I was Helen... I would be thinking, hang on a minute, what are you doing nicking my job? And there she is making him dinner. Because no, she's thankful because of the, you know, I the think little, it, the it, does, it does that didn't quite try and have its cake and eat it in terms yeah. of gender politics at times, I think. Whereas like, I felt Helen actually should be bullshit and, and, and have a She's a much more interesting edge. character than Yes, him. absolutely. And I didn't want it to be about him so much that maybe it was. I don't think focused. he's an uninteresting character. Mm. There are complexities there. I think the answer to that is because he's the only person in that place that's been supportive towards her. He's the nicest person in the place, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, and he's the only person yeah. who seems to be... He also seems to be a new kind of news reporter, whereas the, the guys that she's dealing with most of the time yeah. are primarily... Their goal in life is to be the big gruff male face on television telling yes. it like it is. Yes. And he seems genuinely dedicated to news journalism mm. and but also wants to be part of a team. He feels like a 90s guy in right. an 80s environment. And yeah. okay, we all know the problems with, hey, I'm just a nice guy trying to help out. Yeah. You know, um, but I think that's, you know, viewing everybody in context and at the time. They're a team and it's a, it's mm. a kind of a mismatched romance as well. It's a kind of a... Uh, a professional romance and then maybe there's going to be some romance romance but uh, you know is Dale ne- necessarily what she's looking for in a man mm-hmm. <laughs> without too many you're spoilers. intrigued mm-hmm. yes, yes yes yeah I thought it might be played more as high camp did anyone else when you see the first few scenes and you see the hairspray and the I'm glad it wasn't yeah I'm glad it wasn't yeah, yeah. but it, it, I mean it is camp enough in terms of the the fact that it's Australian in the 80s I think <laughs> adds a certain camp yeah. and Madge from Neighbours tips up in episode 2 yeah, it's kind of soapy, but kind of classy as well. Yeah, but it's, it's like, what if soaps were done with real emotional intelligence and not broad strokes? And that's what I liked about it. Mm, mm. So we're I mean, recommending, I, we're saying, dig this out. I'm giving it a go. I, mean, I did not yeah. like The Morning Show. The uh, Morning I, Show didn't work for me either. But lots of people think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. it is, it is, it's definitely more on the, on the network end of things. In, yes. the, in the pressure and the kind of um, the way it distorts your personality and the way that that kind of conflicted desire to tell the truth and do journalism, mm-hmm. man, but also I just want to be on the telly with my <laughs> yes. with my big shoulders stroke powers. It does, yeah. I think, for anyone who's ever worked in any kind of journalism, really, it, it brings home to you as well that, that that brilliant sense of excitement when something terrible happens because yes. it makes for good copy. And the, the people can barely conceal their glee when the space shuttle explodes. Mm. Um, yeah. And 
And it's gonna you kind of lose your humanity there, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and Helen is you know comes off having done a marathon, mm. largely extemporised, done on the fly yeah. news report in a historic disaster, and gets a round of applause and is in ecstasy, is in raptures, mm. and even the bad guy, even the horrible news is like, is that really the right thing to be doing? Should we really be making emotional entertainment out of this? And you know, like all good dramas. The quotes baddies have a really strong point, and the quotes goodies are flawed people mm. because in the real world there are no goodies and baddies. And that, yeah, the scene where Dale gets his big shot and messes up his first news bulletin as well is, yes, you, maybe you get clammy loud. watching it. I yeah, think, his attempts at being an anchor <laughs> just made me laugh. I, no, I kind of love speeding that. up the autocue, then slowing it back down <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, then you yeah. kind of doesn't he kind of pretty much run out of copy and More has to less, kind of yeah. fill dead air really <laughs> yeah. exactly like Alan Partridge when yes. he's counting the clock down. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, I'm recommending. Yeah. Cool. Breaking news, Justin. It's really quite good. Does what's going on in the American election scare and bemuse you in equal measure? Want to know what Biden and Trump are up to without tearing your hair out? Then you need to listen to American Friction, the brand new podcast about the countdown to the big vote in November from the makers of Oh God, What Now, The Bunker and Paper Cuts. Every Friday, we'll speak to leading experts and blockbuster commentators from the United States to explain the latest news and the big issues behind the vote. That's American Friction with me, Jacob Jarvis. Me, Chris Jones. And me, Nikki McCann-Ramirez. Out every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, regular listeners know we always ask our guests to bring in their favourite song of all time in the history of creation to add to our playlist. Michael Hogan, what have you chosen? In tribute to our future overlord, Looney Liz. I've chosen <laughs> Can't Trust It by Public Enemy. Oh, see what you did there. 1991 slice of hip-hop fury, linking slavery to modern corporate America and very prescient with the word trust in it. Yes, I remember when it came out, a bit of British people found it distracting, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, no, to have a Every time I what? see Liz Truss's name, I just find myself humming Can't Trust It to myself. Mm. Well, we're exchanging a Johnson for a Truss. Uh, the tune, this one's <laughs> going to go onto our rolling playlist, as are all the tunes we've mentioned today. Uh, and now oh, it's on title two. Well, it's updated. been updated. Yeah. It's finally updated. And the, the new title. link will be in the show notes. Yes. And with that, we're at the end of the podcast and it's closing time chatter. What will we be discussing as we neck a bottle of Lambrini, put on our chainmail perv dress, and head out to San Antonio for a night we won't forget? Soundtrack by Beyonce, probably. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Michael, what's your closing time chatter? Well, I was quite excited this week by the news that slightly predictably, but still thrillingly, Channel 4 are making a drama out of the Wagatha Christie scandal. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Breaking right. news. Oh, Rebecca Vardy yes. loses libel case against Rooney in Wagatha trial. Hooray! So cool. the scouse trap closes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the whole thing has played out is sort of stranger than fiction anyway and crying out for that kind of treatment. So yeah. it, I'm glad that someone has presciently snapped at, at the rights and announced it in the same week that the verdict came in, very cannily. Mm. Um, so it's Channel 4. It's going to be two-part miniseries. They're going to use sort of transcripts of the courtroom action to recreate those scenes mm-hmm. and flesh it out with kind of semi-fictionalised mm-hmm. scenes about the rest of the whole ridiculous saga. And we can now play fantasy casting as well. <laughs> of course. Stephen Graham as Wayne Rooney, I'm saying. Oh, God, oh, yes, yes, please. Go on, Fantastic. who else? Jodie Comer. Jodie Comer as Colleen Rooney, yeah, I would suggest. Yeah, she can do the accent. Yeah. Mm? yeah. Well, both role. of them can. Vardy? Um, the Vardys. Who are the Vardys? Vardys are trickier, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, Rebecca could be Saran Jones. And mm-hmm. her and yeah. Jodie Comer have that Dr. Foster yeah. prickly rivalry already. Yes. Yeah. Mr. Uh, Mr. Vardy? Mr. Vardy. Mackenzie Crook. <laughs> yeah, possibly. You see someone a bit pointy-faced, don't yeah. you? Uh, or um, Joe Gilgan from This Is England might, might be good. Mm. Or I thought Jamie Bell might be good. Oh, yeah. Yes. A.K. Billy Elliot. That'd be fantastic. Mm. Well, they've got some good material to work with. Mrs. Justice Stein has found that Rebecca Vardy's evidence in the trial was manifestly inconsistent with uh, with other evidence on many occasions. Mm-hmm. Basically, she's a massive liar. Really? You're saying that her phone didn't drop off the side of a North Sea ferry? I'm saying that that may not be... She didn't lose the password to her WhatsApp account. Entirely account. accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right there. Fabulous. I hope that they can make it in about a week or two and yeah, 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 on yeah, in absolutely. that boring bit in order. But who's going to play Peter Andre's Chipolata? 
Andrew, what's your closing time chatter? Well, staying in the realm of thespians, uh, <laughs> I've got to say RIP to both Bernard Cribbins and David Warner. Bernard Cribbins, has there ever been a more beloved actor? Yeah, absolutely. 93, good innings. Oh, what a way to go. Yay. Admired by everybody. And hung on in there to film Doctor Who just before, about yeah, two weeks before, right. he, yeah, yeah, yeah. before he yeah, died, he, which is yes. brilliant. It's almost like he was waiting to do that. and then mm. So he'll be appearing in, I mean, obviously, the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who will be out next year. I'll be watching through a flood of tears anyway, <laughs> and then Cribbins will turn up, yeah. and they'll have to bring mm. get an ambulance for him. Then he'll just do that salute that he does to the he Doctor. Will, yeah, stop oh, it. I'm going to go stop it. I'm going I'm to be going in a minute. But also David Warner, the incredible mm. David who himself done, done a bit of Doctor Who, The Omen, mm. um, Tron, everything. And just, uh, you know, my idea of what an actor is, is David Warner. So just two fantastic heroes and you've, we have to raise the hat mm. for them. Voice of the Wombles, Cribbins, of course. Voice yeah. of the Wombles. Voice of the Hobbit, just a Jack and Nori, like so, many, yeah. so much sort of well, fiction was Cribbins. voiced by Cribbins. Cribbins was in the Doctor Who movies in the 60s as a young man and then mm. appears as Wilf mm. in the, uh, at the end of his life. It's almost as if we're in a time travel scenario. Sean, <laughs> what's yours? As if it's the metaverse. It has to be Barack Obama's playlist 2022. Because obviously you start you start reading it and you read from the top to the bottom, Break My Soul, Beyonce, of course. Mm-hmm. Thames, who they vibe out. We've got a bit of Harry Styles. We've got Joe Cocker. All this stuff. Yeah, okay, I get it. Sample the Greats in it. That's good, Al Green. At the bottom, wet leg. Wet leg. Yay. Wet leg. The Which leg one? are in there. Angelica. So Ooh. interesting niche yeah. choice from Brad Not there. all day, all day on the South Lawn. <laughs> you would have thought that maybe someone just got no. Go would on, would do, he do like us to tracks. assign someone to butter his mouth? <laughs> I think, I think as an ex-president, he's probably got a security detail to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but isn't that wonderful? It was just so heartwarming. And obviously yeah. everybody has talked about how fantastic this is and what an amazing well, I'm looking forward to Liz Truss's summer playlist. Oh. It's just going to be Elgar, she, isn't it? Hours just when she couldn't get worse, she, she revealed today that she's a Norwich fan. Uh, I, I'm not going to hold that against the Norwich City property. She said, claims to be from Yorkshire, and she supports Norwich. Uh, What's that about? That's an Adelia Smith thing, I don't mm. know. You're an Ipswich Town fan, are you? Hate I, them? I, I, there I, you yeah. go, that's why he hates them. Can't trust it. Well, Can't trust it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well... What we're saying is just don't any UK politicians release your playlist. Well, I mean, she likes um, Top Loader, does doesn't she? Oh, of course oh, she yeah. does. Oh, yeah, Onka's right. Big Monk or whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah. Mighty, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Soundtracking Jamie Oliver sliding down a banister. There you go. In hell somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that beautiful image, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much to Michael Hogan for joining us in the Culture Monker. My pleasure. Remember, you can get all the tunes on our rolling playlist. The link to Spotify and Tidal is at the top of the show notes. And if you subscribe to The Bunker, tomorrow you'll be getting episode 666 of The Bunker, our 666th episode. Exactly. And without giving too many things away, it's all about Satan himself and why he he might not be what you think he is. So we'll see you on Sunday for that one. In the meantime, from me and Sean, from producers Alex Reese, Yeltsin Sofronovich and Jade Bailey, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Be here tomorrow for Satan himself. (laughs) Bye. The Culture Bunker was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison and Sean Pattenden. The producers were Yelena Sofronievich and me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>